Hey there, it's Debbie and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. Typically with kids that have more high needs or are definitely wired, they're really sensitive to what's happening into the emotional lives of their parents. So the more calm you are about how you relate this, the more that you've done your own inner emotional work before you share with the kids what is about to happen to the family, the better off your kids will be. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's guest is Dr. Jenna Flowers, a licensed marriage and family therapist, author, and speaker, and the woman behind the new book, The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, a mindful approach to creating a collaborative, positive parenting plan. Dr. Jenna's book is aimed at helping parents who are no longer together design a healthy alliance and share their parenting duties in a way that best supports their children. In our conversation today, we talk about the extra considerations for those co-parenting differently wired kids, kids for whom consistency and support is critical to their healthy emotional development. I found our conversation very interesting and very relevant, even for those of us whose partnerships and marriages remain intact, because at the end of the day, parenting our kids in a way that respects our partner's experience while also prioritizing our kids' well-being, it's important for any family, regardless of its makeup or who lives where. This is just one of those episodes where you're bound to have at least one aha moment. I hope you enjoy it. Today, my guest is Dr. Jenna Flowers, a licensed marriage and family therapist, co-developer of the Conscious Mothering Class, and author of the new book, The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, a mindful approach to creating a collaborative, positive parenting plan. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jenna. Great to be here, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, yeah, I've been really looking forward to having you on the podcast because we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the relationship between partners raising differently wired children. And we haven't at all touched upon how to make it work when a relationship ends and two parents are no longer living together, but rather are trying to navigate how to best raise their child or their children. I've also recently read that some of the frequently quoted statistics about the percentage of marriages that end in divorce when a child is autistic or has another special need may be greatly over-exaggerated, but there's still no denying that raising differently wired kids can put a tremendous strain on a couple and that it's not unusual for those marriages to end in divorce or separation. So I think this is a fantastic topic to be bringing to the podcast. And I'm just really happy to have you here. I agree. And even for parents that are together to be preventative with their marriages Mm -hmm. is really key. So, you know, this is something to be conscientious of, of when you're Parent, uh, parenting a child that is differently wired, how are you maintaining and sustaining your, your, your marriage so that you guys are a healthy team for your children and for yourselves? Absolutely. And I think that I'm glad you said that up front, because I do think, you know, I have your book, I think it's fantastic. And knowing what we're going to talk about today, this is definitely something that all parents raising differently wired kids, all parents in general could really benefit from. Agreed. Well, I gave a brief introduction to you at the head of the podcast, but would you mind just 
before we dive in, taking a few minutes to tell us more about what you do as a licensed marriage and family therapist? Sure. My practice is in uh, Newport Beach, California, and I see individuals uh, as well as couples. I do parenting consultations, and then I have been teaching a curriculum that I co-developed called Conscious Mothering and see parents regularly in my groups, um, as well as give seasonal parenting book discussion courses. So we take the latest book and we talk about it and apply it to our families. And I, when I first started out, I was um, in a consultation group with Dan Siegel at his office in Brentwood when he was there in Brentwood years back. And so interpersonal neurobiology was just something that was completely fascinating to me. And when I read his book, Parenting from the Inside Out with Mary Hartzell, it just blew my mind. I was like, this is what parenting is all about, understanding how we grew up our own attachment styles, and then how it ends up translating into our current style of parenting with our children. So my kind of my, my flag out there to parents is have the ability to repair, repair the hurts for yourself from your own childhood so that you can be more present with your children and then make choices that are really conscious and who you want to be as a parent, and how you want your children to really know you rather than parenting from a very unconscious place. Hmm. That's great. I really like Dan Siegel's work. And I'll definitely share some of his books in the show notes. So readers can can check him out. I agree. Fantastic resource. And your your introduction is a great segue um, to what I want to dive into, which you wrote your book, The Conscious Parents Guide to Co-Parenting. And I was typing up some some notes in advance of this, and it made me think of Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin with their conscious yes. uncoupling. Um, I think this is a little different, but probably similar um, in other ways. So can you, first of all, tell us what exactly do you mean when you say conscious co-parenting? How would you define that? I would define conscious co-parenting as two parents that are very intentional about listening with full attention and embracing a really non-judgmental acceptance of yourself and your child, as well as even your co-parent. And then as you engage in this act of becoming a conscious co-parent, you discover a heightened sense of emotional awareness of yourself and your child, and you gain a clearer approach to self-regulation in the parenting relationship with your child, and you feel a greater compassion for yourself and your child. And also, as Brene Brown says, you know, we, are, we want to be generous in our assumptions of one another. We're generous in our assumptions of how our co-parent is trying to do the best that they can as well in this partnership and in, in parenting the child. So when you're holding that compassion for yourself as a parent, you're also holding compassion for your co-parent. It sounds like such a ideal, you know, and such an ideal utopian almost sort of relationship. Obviously, you know, that intentional parenting, it's something we talk a lot about on Tilt. And it also, as I'm listening to that, I'm like, gosh, that sounds hard to achieve, you know, even in the best of relationships to be able to, to be non-judgmental, especially with yourself. I mean, there's so many pieces of that that seem tricky to achieve. I, I think you're right, and I, I'm sure that it sounds really idealistic. In fact, when I teach at different support groups for divorce, you know, 50% of the people are on a strictly texting basis with their exes when it comes to parenting their kids. Hmm. And so when I kind of put out this definition, it doesn't mean that everybody's arrived to that. 
But I will tell you, there are a lot of parents out there that are striving towards it because they really recognize that there is an opportunity here to put their children first, even if they choose to no longer be with their partner. Mm-hmm. And you have to put these kids first because they didn't ask for to be a part of a divorced family or a family that is no longer together. So since you have children that connect you, you have to commit to doing the very best that you can in raising them and ultimately having some semblance here of, of a partnership. And I think when it comes to differently wired children, that's even more important because the structure that is necessary to raising differently wired children in the home is important that it's instilled in both homes and that you are on the same page when it comes to the kind of structure necessary for an ideal living arrangement and academic success for, for that child. Well, yeah, that was what I was about to ask you. I know that your book isn't specifically written for parents of differently wired kids, but you just mentioned the structure and having the consistency in, in both homes. Are there any other special considerations you've identified that parents raising atypical kids have to factor in when, you know, either making the choice to dissolve their relationship or trying to create this ideal, both on the same page, conscious co-parenting relationship? You know, it's been in my experience and I don't have necessarily real research to back this up. It's more anecdotal because it's research that I have found in my private practice. But when I have worked with children that are more high needs or sensory sensitive, the emotional life of these children requires a lot of regulation. And so if you are planning to go ahead and divorce or separate, you need to create a lot of basically time for that child to process and understand it and be very intentional about how you go about separating the family. That this isn't something that's just done on the quick, that um, you've put a lot of preparation and timing into the discussion of with your, your partner about how you're going to about, go about telling the children where the kids are going to live, that the structure is already in place, and that also there is a real rhythm that is acknowledged to what that child needs on a daily basis and that you create it in both homes because you want the child to feel as regulated as possible in something that is relationally really traumatic. And so, you know, typically with kids that have more high needs or are definitely wired, they're really sensitive to what's happening into the emotional lives of their parents. So the more calm you are, about how you relate this, the more that you've done your own inner emotional work before you share with the kids what is about to happen to the family, the better off your kids will be. Such a good point. And I mean, this has been our experience, but I know this is true for many parents with differently wired kids. They're, they energetically are so attuned to what's going yes. on with us. And I yes, mean, I... Yeah, it's really scary. Actually, you know, they can pick up on our moods. Asher knows when I'm having a bad day before I do. And and he lets me know in creative and unusual ways. But that's such a good point. So, so that makes me think of another question. So as you know, differently wired kids grow up, and they be they, you know, often become more self aware often because of the work that they're doing to learn how to cope and to gain skills that they may not have, they can become really aware of who they are, what's hard for them, what makes them unique. 
And along with that, they often start to become aware of how their behavior or the challenges related to their diagnoses affect those around them, including their parents. So many kids blame themselves for the breakup of a relationship, whether they ever voice that or not there. I know that that is the case for a lot of kids. They feel like they have some responsibility in it. So how can parents either in the process of divorcing or those that have already divorced, ensure that their differently wired child doesn't feel responsible or take on blame for what's happened? I would say by making sure that the parent himself or herself has really continued to make sense of why they left the marriage and to give a narrative to that child that isn't detailed because oftentimes parents overshare with their kids when it comes to why they're divorcing, but just that you take um, position of, you know, the, the one in authority and basically that, you know, mom and dad still love you no matter what, even though we can no longer be together. That doesn't mean that there still isn't a family here, right? And you are our family and we're going to do our very best to care for you, to love you, to be in your, your corner, And uh, that's just, uh, I don't know what more I want to say about that, but just the continued support Mm -hmm. uh, for that child to know that both parents are there no matter what. I would also say, though, it it really is important to not be overly intrusive with details with, with kiddos, especially, you know, once again, kids that are more sensitive to their parents' emotions because they will end up taking it on and they'll feel like a burden. They'll also start to not share things when they go for their shared time with other parents because they're worried of hurting the other parent's feelings. Some kids feel really protective for the other parent. So you really want to be managing your own uh, mental health and making sure that your child is not taking care of you, but you are definitely taking care of them. And that does mean that you have a larger emotional support network, you know, whether it's really good friends, a church, other, you know, a therapist, mentors, you know, uh, Al-Anon groups, like places where you feel really supported so that when you come home and you're diligent in your parenting, you're not so overwhelmed that your child is sensing like, oh, I need to take care of you. You know, you're not emotionally available here. Or you're feeling too preoccupied to really be with me. So let me take care of you. We want to definitely not do that. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. We'll be right back after this quick break. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. 
That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in many families where a child or maybe more than one child is differently wired, it's also not unusual for both the parents to not be on the same page. And, you know, I've heard plenty of stories and also have just seen this among families that I know, where one of the parents is on the ball or, you know, is really kind of tuned in and and on top of things in terms of trying to get support and accommodations and therapy or whatever that child needs. And sometimes the other parent may be in a denial that there's really nothing actually going on. And you know, this is a phase or there I'll grow it or I was like this as a kid, it'll be fine. And Mm -hmm. that can be really challenging to have that constant friction. So when a couple is together, usually the parent who is aware of the diagnoses or, or is in deep belief that that is what's going on for a child, they're driving the boat, they're the ones who are arranging and doing all the work. And it kind of works, but in a, in a situation where now parents are no longer together and the child may be splitting time, like, do you have any thoughts about how to get parents in that sort of scenario on the same page? So the child, you know, doesn't feel confused about their own self-identity, right? If their one parent doesn't think there's anything going on and maybe they are just coming to accept that they have something going on, but also so they continue to get that consistent support. How can they get on the same page? I think that's a really key question for your audience, Debbie. And I think I would always start with looking into the resources within your community to validate what your child's experience is or what their behavior is. So for instance, I know in Orange County, when it comes to the Orange County school districts, um, and maybe even just the state of California, you know, when you ask for educational testing in, in the public school district, even if you're in a private school within your public school district, you write a letter and within 10 days, the school psychologist for that school district has to contact you to start setting up appointments for an evaluation. And so having evaluations and different tests that have been evidence-based and validated 
help a parent that doesn't understand, you know, a child that's differently wired to better understand. Because sometimes people need more evidence um, and education to really comprehend the situation for their child. And you can't deny it when a medical doctor or three weeks of a battery of, of tests that have come out of a school dis- district says, hey, your child has ADHD, or your child is highly gifted and actually is bored and is needing more, you know, something else. I think to lean on that is really helpful. And if you haven't had those kind of resources already put in place, then in a co-parenting situation, go find it. And sometimes it's, it's worth the money as well. If you can outsource to a psychologist that does that testing, or if not, you know, look to your local school, school district. Another good resource is also developmental pediatricians, where a lot of people don't realize they go to their regular pediatrician, but developmental pediatricians are highly skilled in understanding what is appropriate at different developmental stages for their child. And so having that extra expertise with your child evaluated can also be very eye-opening too for parents. So use resources. And then also when you put your child first and who they are, you know, having real authentic conversations about, well, this is how our child is wired or what they're more prone to. What are the strengths that we have as parents in each other that we can maximize in raising this kiddo? So, for instance, if one parent is, say, really good at school projects, but the other one um, has a, a work schedule that is not helpful to doing the, the weekly homework, perhaps then one person kind of takes more the lead on the group projects and the other person makes sure that the, the homework during the week is getting done. I also say to use email, a weekly email, or for parents that are getting along really well to be able to schedule a call. And then, and I I talk about this in the book, and I list out all the different areas that the parent should be talking about over the upcoming week for that child, just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And it is the primary parents that are going over that schedule, not step-parents or boyfriends or girlfriends of, of the parent, but it is the primary parents. Those are great tips. And and it uh, what I like about everything you shared, too, is it takes the emotion out of the equation, yeah. you know, having the evidence and using all of these resources and just kind of standing, I guess, confident and firm in that and not making it a personal thing or, or something emotional, which I think I'm sure in your experience, you see doesn't really work very well. Correct. Yes. And if you're actually working with a parent, then that would completely deny so much evidence that says that like, no, your ch- there's a real valid diagnosis. It's been validated now by um, several different tests and uh, a school psychologist, an outside psychologist, the teacher, you know, then you're probably looking at a parent that is in denial and that's more their own issue because they're putting their own stuff ahead of the real mm. needs of that child. Right. That's great. Okay. So what I would love to know, and you know, I know this is, this is in your book, but if you could kind of share with us how exactly, like, what does this look like? So parents who are not together any longer, or they are considering dissolving their relationship, what does it actually look like to design an alliance that's supportive of who their child is while also being respectful and positive? Like, I imagine it, it. You don't just flip yeah. a switch, <laughs> right? No, 
But you know how this originated, um, and maybe that will help to give a little more sense to this, is that what I've noticed in, in my private practice is that I would see so many parents that were so child-centered to begin with in their parenting that they were not caring for marriages. The marriages were, you know, were kind of, it was last on the totem pole compared to children. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got backwards. And I think some of this is that um, for, you know, I I came from a divorced home when I was little. And my parents really didn't speak at all about parenting us. And they just kind of hoped for the best. (laughs) And luckily, I was a pretty high functioning kid that I, I ended up, you know, being a really good student, but I didn't receive any help from my parents and whatnot. And so when I came into my own parenting and then seeing my clients in my practice, I realized like, you know, kids from the 70s and 80s, we really have, now that we're parents, a very child-centered approach. And as a result, for a lot of these marriages, if you're not taking care of your marriage and you're child-centered, and then you decide to divorce you're still very committed to your parenting because that's what you had in common. But that's what you most had in common. So there is a really high population now of divorcees that still love parenting, want to be involved, and recognize they have to have some kind of viable partnership with their, their co-parent. And they, they seemingly do, you know, because they took it so seriously in the marriage. Now, um, that being said, what does that look like? It looks like checking in during the, you know, at the beginning of the week and saying, okay, this is what we've got on, you know, uh, on the books. There's a parent conference. There are two soccer games, you know, dependent on what your custody arrangement is, you know, the shared time of who's going to be at whose house. Some co-parents are able to even share the time when it is 50-50 that maybe the other parent might come in and help with homework. It just depends also on the finances of that family and and work schedules. But oftentimes, you know, co-parents can be both at the soccer games and cheer on the kids and both be at a parent-teacher conference and also even share a portion of the holidays with each other. I know a lot of co-parents that now are remarried and they can end up having, you know, a certain portion of the time of Christmas where they're all together, but then they also have their own separate time for Christmas too. Some co-parents are even able to do uh, vacations. I know one family that does a regular trip to Hawaii every summer. Even if they have different partners, they still set aside the time without partners to just be in you know different rooms, but then do hiking and take the boys to the beach and, and have a good time of it. Hmm. So... If you have recognized that the reason why you're no longer with your partner, why you can't be, is because of your own personal issues and that other person has also come to that terms with that and you guys have brought closure to why the marriage can no longer exist, you can be friends. It is possible. And, and you mm-hmm. can choose to parent your kids really well even in two different homes. And the children that recognize that their parents can be friends um, and they see it because it's being modeled to them end up having a much easier time of understanding and healing from their parents' divorce. So when you put that co-parenting arrangement, first I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to pursue this, even if my co-parent right now is hates me. 
Maybe you might be in a situation where it's not mutual right now in the co-parenting. But if you continue to choose to pursue working with that person and you're doing your own inner work to help make sense of it, you know, like the times where you feel hurt or, or whatever and you're not engaging in the negativity and you're staying with the facts is like what we talked about earlier with a differently wired child, like having, you know, this is the evidence that shows that this is why we need to parent a certain way with our kids or the kind of support that we need, you know, and you just stay very constant and objective, you know, at some point you hope that that other parent will come along and support you in that. And for the parents that don't, you're still better off taking the high road because the level of negativity and energy that goes along with the fight on choosing to not get along and badmouth your ex, you know, all of that, especially if you have a child with more high needs, they're going to be so sensitive to that and it shuts them down. So it really tears down your own connection with your child. So it's really a very lose-lose situation if you choose the other way. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. That makes absolute sense. And I also, again, I hear this from a, a lot of parents that the partner, even if they know what's going on, they're not caught, caught up to speed. You know, I actually, I had um, Samantha Edis, who's a, the author of a book called The Pie Life, recently on the show talking about 
this and how to get an, your partner up to speed so that you're not the one with all of the information or you're not the one who's kind of quote unquote doing it right. Yeah. And so I can just see that there's a lot of layers to this because it is taking the high road and treating the other person with respect so your kids can see that. And at the same time, sometimes that's tricky if the other partner isn't quite up to speed or quote unquote doing it right, you know? Yeah, um, I actually have, Debbie, a whole chapter on fostering mutual respect in your co-parenting relationship and how to avoid all the distractions that come along with a co-parent that is trying to take jabs at you and bring you down and get away from the real, you know, heart of what you're trying to work on, which is co-parenting. Could you actually, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about your book, specifically, you know, what readers can expect to get out of it, how it will positively change their experience? Yeah, well, I wrote it for this generation of co-parents where not only are there divorced or separated co-parents, but there are also elective co-parents, you know, people that never met their their soulmate, you know, and, but they've got a really good friend and they decided let's have a baby together. There are some people like that out there or Mm -hmm. people that are, are living together and, and then decide, you know, they get pregnant and they didn't intend it, but now they're pregnant and how do they go about co-parenting? So the, the book goes into attachment so that you understand how to become a secure connector so that you can pass that down to your child and foster a secure connection with your child. It also goes into understanding the developmental needs of children because I often have found in my parenting classes that parents have unrealistic expectations of where their children should be at certain developmental stages. So to have that knowledge really helps a parent have realistic expectations of, oh, okay, this, this is appropriate versus, you know, this, my child should have already arrived to that. <laughs> That's often not the case. I also go into emotional attunement and, and how to repair ruptures with your child as well as with your co-parent when things come up, how to align on mutual values to raise your children if you feel like, you know, you're just so vastly different. So you really embrace where you align in your value system and where you are both really successful in your parenting and then where the challenges are, how to talk about those challenges in a very compassionate way, but then look for what are the resources we can implement then to help, you know, to help our kid. Also developing a rhythm and routine in your homes, how to discipline. I I do a very extensive chapter just on positive discipline for children so that we're not going to areas of frustration where you're, you're spanking or, you know, yelling, you know, just taking away tons of, of toys to try to empower yourself because it ends up actually disempowering you as a parent. And then also knowing your rights as a co-parent, because it is important that you have a legal plan that has been put together and that it goes through either mediation or a family attorney so that everybody knows what to expect um, in co-parenting. And then there's a whole chapter too on um, mindfulness and becoming really present, how to be really present in your, ch- in your child's life and then new transitions in co-parenting. So how do you adjust to a new baby, um, special time with your child, a step parent addition? That's what the book is about. <laughs> it's so comprehensive. I really 
was pretty blown away when I flipped through it. I love the connection to positive discipline, which is we've done shows on positive discipline. And that's what we do in our home and certainly what we advocate. There is so much information in here, you really did cover all aspects of this. So congratulations on the book. It's a great resource. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate you saying that. Well, I do have one last question. And I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But I know there are parents who are going to be listening to this episode who are either divorced or in the process of divorcing, or maybe they're just struggling with figuring out how to improve the dynamic with their parent, maybe they're still together. If you could share kind of one golden piece of advice or one tip that could have an immediate and positive impact on their lives, maybe something as little as shifting their thinking about something today. Do you have that piece of or some piece of advice that our listeners could noodle on after listening to this? Well, one key thing that I think really stops communication is blaming. And so to take responsibility for what you're feeling and to authentically share rather than putting the other person on the defensive and make them wrong, I think is really helpful. So it might sound like, you know, what the Gottmans call a softened startup. You know, when our son didn't get picked up from school on time. And I thought that we had agreed that you were going to pick him up on time. That made me feel confused, frustrated. And I, you know, I want to be able to to rely on you. And so when that doesn't happen, that makes me feel scared that I can't. So authentically sharing like that sounds vastly different than what's wrong with you that you didn't pick up our kid on time. How do you think he feels now? God, he felt so abandoned right? That's going to put put the co-parent on the complete defensive. So owning your own feelings, I think is really key. And how you share it is uh, just as important as what you're sharing. And also, yeah, exactly. Seeing your partner as a partner, whether you are together or not, that you are a partner in this relationship. And it is, yeah, as soon as we put someone on the defensive, it's over, like the conversation's over, and it takes a while to get back to square one again. Yeah, I often think, you know, when it comes to people that are, you know, are ending their relationships or divorcing, it's okay. You know, if you, if you chose that you didn't, that you can no longer be together, the world gets it. It's okay. But your your child is going to have a hard time understanding why that is so. And your child will have an even harder time understanding it if you're so preoccupied in, in why you're angry that it's no longer working out in that marriage that they're feeling forgotten. So you want to make sure that your child's needs are coming first and that they're still having a childhood, you know, and, it's a, and, and that childhood needs to have both of you there. Now, for the parents that because there is a certain portion of people out there that just get so angry and become uh, manipulative and try to use the child to manipulate or withhold money, you know, so that there isn't, you know, the financial wherewithal for, for your kids and for yourself, then you do have to take the necessary courses in court to figure that out. And as long, though, as you're not bad-mouthing that partner to your child, but just helping your child understand, like, you know, it's a tough situation and to hear your child's feelings about it. Or if your child is too, is not able to talk about their feelings because maybe they haven't had a a real emotional vocabulary or or because of how they're differently wired, it just doesn't come easy. Then to find a counseling resource 
or some kind of um, group social skill group or something for them to be able to have a safe place to talk about it to. That's great. Thank you. Great, great advice. Where can listeners learn more about you and your book? So the Conscious Parents Guide to Co-Parenting is in Barnes and Noble stores nationwide. It's under, I believe, unique parenting or parenting, situational parenting in the parenting category. And uh, it's also on Amazon as well. And you can go to ocparenting.org where I have my upcoming parenting classes. And I believe there's a URL link there on that website as well that will lead you to either Amazon or Barnes & Noble for online purchase. It's also on Kindle. Perfect. For listeners who want to check out Dr. Jenna's book, I will share the links, um, all these links and um, links to her book on the show notes for this episode. So you don't have to be scrambling and writing this down right now. And uh, Dr. Jenna, I just want to thank you for being a guest on the show talking with us about such an important topic. There were lots of nuggets here, I think, again, not just for parents who are no longer together, but really for any parent who's looking to foster more respect and collaboration in the way they're parenting their their child. So thank you again for coming on the show today. Debbie, thank you for having me. And thank you for having such an important resource for parents that are parenting kids with with higher needs and are differently wired, because I think it's so important. It can be very isolating for parents out there. So I think you provide such a fabulous resource for them. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Dr. Jenna's book, The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, and the rest of the resources we talked about in the show, as well as to find out more information about our unofficial sponsor for this episode, Eye to Eye, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 38. If you liked what you heard on today's episode and you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes or leaving a review. Both of these things help our podcast get more visibility. And thanks again for listening. I would love to wish you a happy holiday and new year, and we'll see you in 2017. For more information on Till Parenting, visit www.tillparenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.